All right, well, I need to get my head about me to uh, to preach this morning. And um, I remember back when I preached for Easter, uh, it became quite the joke in our house um, that I really felt that I was to preach about suffering. Um, you know, it was Resurrection Sunday, uh, a day traditionally that you are to celebrate the risen Christ, the life that we have in God, all of the good, positive uh, you know, great, warm feeling things. But no, I felt to preach on suffering. And I, I did. I felt bad for it. But I still preached on suffering. And, and it was a bit of a joke in this family. It was like, well, Dad, what are you going to do? And so uh, this week, Jordan says to me, hey, Dad, it's Mother's Day. Are you going to preach on suffering again? Uh, and now, you know, I just want to say to you, I, I was tempted uh, but I chose not to. In fact, where we just so happen to be in the scriptures uh, really is talking about how we are grounded in the love of Christ. Uh, so I can't tell you how relieved I was to see that the scriptures had led me to such a beautiful, encouraging topic. And so um, what, a, what a great moment in the sovereignty of God to be exactly here on Mother's Day. What a good thing. So this morning, I want to look at uh, this idea of being grounded in Christ's love. Uh, what does it mean to be grounded? What, is it, what does it feel like for you to be grounded, to come back to that place of, uh, of normality, when you are of right mind, uh, when you are thinking clearly? Um, you know, the, the meaning of grounded really just means to be well balanced and sensible. Uh, this, the scriptural meaning, in fact, I hadn't seen this word used in any other scripture except for in Ephesians. Uh, and it just means to, to make stable. So there's this idea that we are unstable at times, that life can get us to the point where we're not our normal self, uh, where we're not quite making the right decisions. We're unstable. Uh, we're unbalanced and we're not sensible. And so this idea of being grounded is us taking a breath, considering what it is that we are supposed to do with a clear mind, and really it's going forward with a sense of peace. So I don't know about you, but what is it that brings you back to a place of peace? Uh, what are the things that you can do in your own life where you can feel yourself becoming ungrounded, uh, when you can sense that Maybe I'm not making the right decisions. Uh, perhaps there's some sideways emotions that you can see that, that don't really apply and you think, am I really doing okay? Um, I know for me, one of the things that brings me back just in my normal life uh, is having a clean environment. Uh, in fact, before I started this live stream, probably about two minutes before, um, I, I got the vacuum cleaner and just gave it a quick little mini vac around where I am because for my personality, if I'm trying to preach to you and I can feel crumbs under my feet, it's going to affect me because I'm a little bit weird that way. Uh, so I need a clean environment to just feel grounded. In fact, in my family, when they can see me getting a bit stressed or being a little bit ungrounded, uh, they kind of say, do you know what? I think we need to clean the house. That's the way to pull dad back down to a safe place. Um, it's a little bit similar when it comes to writing out a job list. One of the disciplines I enjoy doing at the, the start and the end of a day is writing out a job list. 
so that my brain isn't actively thinking and stressing about all of the tasks that I've got to do for that day. Uh, or at night time, I can write it down again and I'm not laying in bed thinking, oh, don't forget this and don't forget that. The problem is that I can't rest until every single last job is done. And it's oftentimes not until I've done the very last minuscule job that I can genuinely just sense this overwhelming external peace. Uh, so I have a lot to learn today. I, I too need to be grounded in the love of God. So what is it for you? What do you do that, that makes you more grounded? You see, for the Christian, uh, the Christian is spiritually grounded not by religious activities, but by the love of Christ. So think about that for a moment. What are the things, not externally, not in our everyday life, but what are the things that spiritually ground you? You know, what are the, do you find in yourself this desire to perform for God? All right, God, I can't feel spiritually at peace until I've done this for you or until I'm serving in a, in a way that really makes a difference. Or Now, they're all good things and we can aspire to leadership. We can aspire to effectiveness. We can aspire to ministry. But those things don't ground us. I promise you, what grounds us is the sense that we have connection with God and that can't be attained by religious activity. No, we need to be grounded by the love of God. So let's read our text this morning. And um, we're going to go Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that's where we got the title for today's message, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge and that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Men. So we've got so much there really to go into. Uh, he starts by saying, for this reason. And if you remember last week's sermon, uh, really that, that reason was a big, grand reason. Uh, the reason he's talking about is that God is building a family from all over the world. Uh, that God has this family, the, the body of Christ, the, the church, uh, the ecclesia, the called out ones. That God has this body of, of, of his sons and daughters that he is adopting into their family, into his family. And so God has this huge family that he's pulling together from all over the world, uh, from all over uh, different times in history. For that reason, it says here that he bows his knee. So I love that Paul's very first posture is one of worship. 
Uh, when he looks out, when he thinks of the grandness of what God is doing, he, he, he is humbled. Uh, he, he comes down and he worships himself. Uh, what a posture uh, to be able to bow before God. I think that does something to our hearts. And so we see that he bows the knee, he yields to God, um, and he sees that God is really greater than all of us. It's God's plan that is the most important thing. And so we see from verse 16 to 17 as we move on, uh, it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that, now here we've got the application, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We'll we'll, we'll cut the, the verse short for a moment there. So what does Paul do? He looks out at the enormity Uh, at at the grand vision, at the mystery that is now being revealed, this huge external thing. And he goes all the way from out there and he comes all the way in. That God would accomplish all of that so that, and then he internalizes it, and he says, so that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Uh, Not by works, but that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. I even personally love that it it doesn't use another word uh, rather than dwell. Uh, It doesn't say so that God may insert Christ into your heart. Uh, That that would kind of have a cold connotation. That's how a dad would do it. Dad would say, right, we've got Christ. We want him over there. But a mother would, would allow something to be gentle, that there's a feeling attached to it that Christ may dwell in your heart. I love that God wants to dwell in our heart. And so basically, he looks at the enormity and he sees that it has a personal application. Uh, it has something that of, of meaning, of significance to us. Uh, see, the thing is, we have an outer world and we have an inner world. Uh, we have the external you and we have the internal you. And it is fantastic to know that uh, God cares about the external us. Uh, But here we see that God cares about the internal you. In fact, what God wants to do is he wants to so enrich your life from the inside. He wants your inner man to be so encouraged that Christ would dwell in your inner man so that you can be grounded in his love and not grounded by uh, all these other things. See, in, uh, we're going to look at Proverbs now, chapter 18 and verse 14. Uh, describes it quite well. It says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? So that spirit of you, the inside part of you. Uh, you know, this scripture is saying we can endure sickness. We can handle when uh, the outside of us is suffering or our body is suffering in some way. That can be endured, but nobody can endure a crushed spirit. You know, we aren't those who want to live our lives with a bruised and injured spirit. Uh, We need to explore past hurt and past pain at times. Uh, Or maybe not even fully explore it. Maybe we just need to be so consumed 
by the love of Christ, that those past wounds will be healed. Uh, See, God is giving us the opportunity to have Christ dwell in our hearts. You know, if Christ dwells in your heart, what can come against you? If Christ is dwelling inside your heart, nothing you suffer externally can crush your spirit and rob you of hope. And so what we see with Paul is that he had, you look at his ministry, he had an unbelievable drive. He went and and he planted churches and he suffered persecution. He did so much in his ministry that a lot of ministers look at him and think, I will never be anywhere near close to Paul. Um, But the reason Paul had incredible drive was that he was uh, so grounded in the love of God. He had this love of God and we see that uh, he knew that he was not worthy of that love. And yet the God who is accomplishing grand things in the universe actually loved him personally. See, Paul knew that God was rich. And I love here that it says uh, that he is, uh, that he, he blesses us according to his riches. It says that God blesses us according to his riches. It doesn't say God blesses us out of his riches. There's a very, very big difference. See, God is adopting us as sons and daughters. The, the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. That That is a message for another day, but that is hard to believe. See, God doesn't just carve off a little bit of his riches and, and give it to us. Uh, God actually blesses us out of his riches. And you know, rich rich kids, they don't suffer in the same way that poor kids do. You know, rich kids, they, they, um, they, they don't have the same experience as poor kids do. Now they have troubles and life is, is difficult. And the Bible says we all go through similar trials. Uh, but, a, but a poor kid and a rich kid have vastly different experiences. And Paul recognizes that Externally, yes, he is subject to the same uh, externalities that the world would bring. But internally, he's a rich kid. He has all of the fullness of Christ inside of him. Whereas somebody who has a poor view of God inside is going to suffer in ways that somebody who believes they are rich internally will not suffer. See, we need to believe that we are rich kids We need to believe that God is rich. Now, we know God is rich, but we need to believe that he is blessing us according to his riches, not out of his riches. Uh, You know, I think of um, the great philosopher. You know, what was his name? Mufasa. And Mufasa was an incredible philosopher. And he said to Simba, he said, everything the light touches will be yours. Of course, I'm talking about the Lion King. Uh, But, you know, Mufasa says to Simba, he says, have a look out there. Everything the light touches will be yours. And the reason he could make that promise was because everything out there that the light touches was his to own. And so he was able to promise that to Simba, that everything that you see will be yours. Um, That is what God can do for all of those who believe in him. You know, the things that the scripture says are available uh, in the life to come, uh, not necessarily all in this life, 
but the promise we have for eternity is incredible. And God has given us a guarantee through the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your heart. Okay, let's continue reading uh, verse 17, part B, which says, That you being rooted and grounded in love. So here we see the full uh, outcome. Christ wants to dwell in our hearts so that we would be grounded or rooted and grounded in love. Um, you know, I think of this story now that applies to me and I'm absolutely a has-been now. Uh, but I used to practice a few martial arts and one of the very first things they teach you is how to have uh, like a center of balance, how to be grounded. So if you don't know how to balance your body, if you can't understand when you are uh, in balance and out of balance, then somebody can literally push you over with their finger. But if you have a strong grounding, if you if you can get yourself in a position where you are hard and resilient, not many people can knock you over. It would take an incredible force. And too often, so many Christians are just blown over by every circumstance rather than saying, this is nothing compared to the love of God I have in my life. And this is the promise of Scripture, that if you will, uh, through faith, accept Jesus Christ into your heart, no matter your previous sin, if you will accept Christ by faith, repent of your sin, and be forgiven and fully loved and adopted by God, you will not only be grounded, but you'll be rooted in the ground. You will have a strength uh, that is not possible to the person who is not in the family of God. And too often we forget it as well. And it's good for us to go back and remind ourselves of this hope. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 23, it says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. You know, this is what we are to do. We are to be established. For us to mature as Christians is to be grounded in the love of God. I think the older we get in our faith, a sign of maturity is not how much we know. Uh, for me, it's not how well I can preach and lead. Uh, those are not signs of necessarily signs of maturity in my personal faith, but it's actually how much of the love of God do I have in my life? Now, yes, those other things are great, but we must have this core. We must have this, this part of us that we don't lose hope. Uh, see, it says here that we, we should not shift from the hope of the gospel. And that's what the love of God gives us. So Paul is not teaching that this is a great little idea for you to learn for now. Uh, he is not teaching that this is something that, you know, you should just learn today and it's a great message for Mother's Day. And then next week, you know, we'll go back to preaching about suffering again. Uh, that's not, Paul is, not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this is something that we should never depart from. We should never forget the love of God in our hearts. Uh, if we move on from that, it would do us a great pain and disservice. You know, there are some things in life that you should never, ever forget. One of those things for me that every now and again I do, I, I actually go back and I forget. 
I forget that tofu is a disgusting disgrace uh, in this world. And every now and again, I think, come on, Daniel, be a big boy, try some tofu. It, maybe it's okay. Put it in a green curry or something and, and you'll enjoy it. And I try it again and I suffer. And I tell you that at the age of 40, I have learned my lesson. You know, many of us need to learn our lesson to not run away from the love of God. Uh, this is what the Galatian church did, is that they started in the grace of God. And then they were told, who has bewitched you? They, they ran away from the grace and the love of God. And then they started trying to earn God's affection, to earn God's love. Uh, they preferred to be grounded and rooted by their religious activity, by their knowledge of scripture, by their spiritual gifts, more than they were grounded in their faith by the love of Christ, by the work of Christ, and by his affection. All right, uh, verses 18 and 19. It says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, this, this love, what I'm struck by there is that this love surpasses knowledge. Uh, this is more than just knowing that God loves us. Uh, so if you are listening this morning and you're thinking, great, good preaching. Uh, you know, I agree with that. That's excellent. But it hasn't done something in your heart. If the love of God is not getting inside of you in such a way that it has the ability to grow, then you're missing out. See, this is, it surpasses knowledge. That, that means two things. Number one, it means that it's greater than we can comprehend in our brains. And it also means that it's not just something we can believe in our heads. We must experience it in our hearts. And so here we see Paul using a whole bunch of really flowery language. He's sort of going over the top. You know, he loves to do this sort of thing. He's like, what is that you would comprehend, that you would have the strength to comprehend the breadth and the length. You know, he, he's really going over and above to explain this. And that reveals something to me that he's trying to get a point through. He doesn't just say prescriptively, here's what you need to do, guys. You know, feel God's love. And you think, oh, well, that's what I should do. So I, I feel God's love. He's trying to explain and demonstrate that just his love for this sense that God loves him. You know, he's really being over the top in his explanation. Uh, for me, that's very, very much like uh, something I've not been able to do since this lockdown. And that is to go up to Melbourne with a couple of mates from church and go and experience what we call in Lebanese some lahambajin, which is this beautiful pizza kind of dish. And it's like a meat pizza with a bit of a tomato base. And you put some... Uh, you put some lemon juice over the top, and I'm telling you, that is some of the world's best food. It is incredible. Um, I love it so much that when I moved back to Victoria, it was one of the very first things that me and Patty did. And I'm not sure if he remembers, but I was nearly crying when I ate this food because I hadn't had it for so many years. Now, you can't relate to my story 
unless you've had that. I'm literally salivating right now. Um, you can't relate to my story unless you've had that same experience. And this is what it is to experience the love of God. Uh, we, we can't really explain it. I am at a loss today to tell you just what it feels like, what, what it should be, how transformative the love and the grace of God is. You have to experience it by yourself. Uh, now, the problem is that you can't just make a decision to experience the love of God. It is not just a decision you make. It is something that the Holy Spirit must enable you to be able to do. I know for me, when I uh, became a Christian, I actually decided that in my head I was going to be a Christian. And it took me about a week. I, I literally could not do it. I, in the end, out of desperation, uh, at 12 years old, I said, God, if, if you're going to help me, if, if this is going to happen, I need you to make me do it. I really want to, but I just knew there was a disconnect. I didn't fully believe it in my heart. And that's what happened. The Holy Spirit took over and I was able to believe in faith for the first time. So I want to encourage you to do the same. Maybe you're a Christian, have been a Christian for a long time, um, and you know these things to be true, but you've forgotten. Uh, maybe you've, you've lost a bit, of that, a bit of that sense that God loves you. Uh, then pray, Holy Spirit, would you remind me of Christ's love? You know, sometimes we need to stop uh, producing. We need to stop writing out job lists as I do. And we need to actually be with God. I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly hard with the busyness of life, with all of the distractions, but to sit and be with God uh, and enjoy that something we uh, have the opportunity to do and it will ground your life. Okay, the final two verses as I... Oh, I just saw that. That's very distracting, Anissa. You've got some in the freezer. Pop around. That would be lovely. All right, anyway, uh, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, now, we can look at that verse, and if you were to uh, perform what we call isogesis rather than exogesis, uh, if you looked at that verse in uh, just a narrow-minded position, you might think that that just means that we can ask for anything we want. You know, God is able to do far abundantly more than we could ask or even think. And I've seen that verse used for many years in certain circles where they will say, what this scripture means is that you can basically ask for anything. Um, that is not the application of the scripture. Paul is referring to the largeness because we know this because then in chapter 4, verse 1, just two verses down, Paul says, I therefore a prisoner. See, Paul is still a prisoner. Now, if God is able to do more than we can ask or think, which we know he is, um, then why is Paul still a prisoner? Why is he still sitting in a, in a jail cell? Um, this does not mean that we can simply ask for anything and get it. Uh, this means that God is infinite. And here's what happens. Paul is summarizing uh, really this chapter 3. We saw that he's beginning by looking at uh, the enormity of what God has done. He's looking out there. And that goes all the way in to the personal application of God's love in our hearts. And now 
he is reflecting that glory back to God. He's not just taking that internally and so filled with God's love that he becomes uh, full of himself. That's not what he's doing. But God's love is filling him up to see that God is full of glory. And so he returns that glory back to uh, God. Uh, Narelle, thank you very much. But I don't need your tofu. I'm seeing that just now. It's weird, the, the messages that my brain is seeing. But no, thank you. Thank you, but no, thank you. Um, so Paul is returning that glory back to God. He's not just, uh, you know, it's not just about him, even though it is about him. Uh, this, this love of God, the enormity of God that he would direct it to individuals is amazing. And it can lead us to think that we are just, you know, like we are the center of the universe. But the love that Paul is experiencing, he understands that it's not just because he's the center of the universe. It's not like that at all. It's because God is wonderful. See, God loves us. If you can understand this, God loves us not because we're lovable. God loves us because of his glory. And his glory will never diminish. It will never change. The scripture says that the glory of God will fill the earth. And Paul knows that that is the source of God's love for him. So he returns that glory to God. So to summarize, I want to say this. To be grounded in God's love is to see the enormity of what he is accomplishing, to accept his love personally, and then to redirect your praise off yourself and towards his infinite glory and goodness. That's what it looks like. That, that really is uh, essentially the formula to understanding the, the love of God. It is not about us, and yet it applies to us. Uh, God loves us because he is loving. He doesn't love us because we are lovely. Uh, except for the mothers. Today, I'll give you that pass. You are all lovely. That is the right answer. And so, uh, but God loves us not because of the things we've done, but because he is loving and he is glorious. So I want to encourage you this morning to take some time to reflect on uh the, the love of God in our hearts. We are those who need to be grounded. Uh, life is going to try to unsettle you. The, the, you know, the circumstances of life are going to try to shake you and, and, and wreck your peace. And yet for those who are grounded and rooted in the love of God, we can have assurance that we can have peace for the rest of our life. We may not have easy circumstances. We may not uh, just sail through life. But internally, we're all rich kids. We have this richness of the glory of God and the love of God in our hearts. So I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you that if you're not a believer, that you could have access to this love of God. This is not something we want to keep for ourselves. Uh, we are not a special club that doesn't want other people to join. We want everybody to experience the love of God in their hearts. So I'm going to close in prayer right now. And, uh, and then we're going to actually, uh, uh, David's going to lead us through communion and, um, and we're going to have that together. So let's pray. Father, I just come to you this morning and um, Lord, we just contemplate the state of our hearts. Lord, we are just 
Lord, we are hungry and desperate for, for affection. God, we are hungry and desperate for approval. Lord, we seek man's approval. Lord, we seek our own approval. And so, God, in our brokenness, we try to scaffold around all these different things. Sometimes we run to entertainment. Lord, sometimes we run to being successful. God, we run to uh, riches. God, we run to all sorts of things. And yet, God, we are just your children in need of affection, in need of love. And Lord, this Mother's Day, we are reminded of your gift of mothers. Lord, that you gave mothers to demonstrate to us this affection. Lord, I pray for those who have had mums who maybe haven't had the ability to show that affection. Lord, would you reconcile? God, would you forgive? And would you show those who have never experienced that love, Lord, that we can have that love in Christ? So, Father, we just pray that you be with us. Holy Spirit, we declare that we need you to empower us to be grounded in the love of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.